0: Lock Talk Radio
1: Good evening everybody. Thank you for joining me on the final episode of the show about the show for today. Today's final episode is episode 29 with author Eric Sherman. He has written a new book about Mets manager Davey Johnson called My Wild Ride in Baseball and Beyond. He's also written other books regarding the New York Mets. He wrote a Mookie Wilson book. He wrote a book called The King of Queens regarding the 86 Mets. He's written a book about Steve Blass. We're going to get into all that and more. And He is a New York Times bestseller, and I am pleased to welcome to the show... Eric Sherman, Eric, how you doing?
0: Devlin, I couldn't be better. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, thanks. So let's let's kind of just jump right into it. I see that uh, your new book is called Davey Johnson: My Wild Ride in Baseball and Beyond. How'd that come about?
0: Well, uh, as as you mentioned, I wrote a book entitled Kings of Queens: uh, Life Beyond Baseball with the '86 Mets and i and i asked davy to write the forward and he did and he was so impressed with that book that um he 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 contacted me and and he said you know i've i've been asked a million times to write an autobiography um how would you like to write it and i jumped at the chance i i, I mean i i had kind of told myself after kings of queens that I didn't want to be a co-author anymore. Um, I just wanted to write books on my own, uh, do my own interviews, my own research, like I did with Kings of Queens. But there are a few people out there, and Davey's one of them, um, that I've long admired and thought that his autobiography would really be something. And um, it's, it, it proved to be everything I hoped it could be and more.
1: Now, you know I'm, look, I'm looking at the book about the uh, the Kings of Queen, and, and by the way, listeners, Eric's, Eric does have a website. it is eric You can find links to all of his books there. His books are all available on Amazon as in paper edition or in, heart, in, in physical form as well as on Kindle Edition. I'm looking at the King of Queen's book or I'm sorry, Kings of Queen. That looks like a pretty interesting book. What was, the, uh, what was kind of the reason for writing that book?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting how one book kind of leads into the next. Um, so sure. as I mentioned, Kings of Queens kind of led me into Davy Johnson's book. And, and well, um, the Mookie Wilson autobiography, which I was the co-author, which was the New York Times bestseller, that one led me to meet many of the 86 Mets, Um, through interviews with them for Mookie's book. And I was at a book signing with Mookie and his wife, Rosa, and, you know, it was like our 10th or 11th book signing in seven or eight days. And, you know, they, they kind of, you know, begin to run into each other. You know, the shine is off of it. So I guess in like the second or third hour of this book signing, Rosa... Mookie's wife, she turns to me and goes, so what's your next project going to be? And I'm like, oh, I'm kicking some ideas around now. I, I I thought about doing one on Roberto Clemente, and she goes, you know, it would be really great to find out how the 86 Mets are doing today, you know, kind of like a retrospective. And and so I thought about it, and I'm like, well, the, in my opinion, the greatest baseball book of all time um, was written by Roger Kahn, uh, The Boys of Summer. So what I the book did was, he did about the '55 Dodgers, right? Right, and yeah. So right, and uh, he wrote the book about twenty years after that, and um, and it, it was, I mean, it's I think it still remains as the biggest selling baseball book of all time, and it was just so well well written, and so he kind of combined... um, um stories from the various players from the Brooklyn Dodgers about um, their time in Brooklyn as well as what they're up to today in in present times. Um, So I basically took a page from Roger Kahn and did that with the 86 Mets. And um, so I visited, I traveled 40,000 miles around the country and interviewed the the key and more riveting guys from that team. So not just, you know, your Keith Hernandez's and Daryl Strawberries and Dwight Goodens, but also the guys like Danny Heap, Doug Sisk, and a fellow that you know really well, Ed Hearn. Um, yeah. So it, it was, um, you know, and it's interesting, the feedback that I received, uh, people were just as, if not more enthralled with, the stories on Ed Hearn uh, and your Raphael Santana's uh, than they were with, um, you know, Strawberry and Gooden because, you know, we've heard so much about, you know, the lives of Straw and with Gooden. And, um, so anyway, uh, that book did really well, and uh, and that's still out there too. And um, so it's, it's just interesting how one book project kind of, goes into the next one and and it just flows and actually I just finished a manuscript um, on the 69 Mets with with Art Shamsky who who was a member of that team and uh, I won't get too much into that but but again it's another Mets themed book and so once you get started um, with with writing books about an organization and a part of their history it tends to lead into something else.
1: Absolutely. Now we'll we'll definitely come back to the Davy Johnson, um, to your Davy Johnson book. But I kind of want to focus a little bit on this King King of Queens book. I'm looking on your website, and it talks about how you mention um, players like you mentioned Dot Gooden, Daryl Strawberry, and L- Nails Lenny Dykstra, and their revelations of drug de- of drug addiction, cancer. Life After Incarceration, as well as lesser-known stories as Kevin Mitchell, Ed Hearn, and Doug Sist, dealing with the murder of a child, chronic illness, and getting death threats from fans. Um, Let's take a few minutes and kind of talk a little bit about kind of each player. I don't want to give a whole lot of it away because I want people to go out and buy the book, but let's talk a little bit about each player and maybe if you have a story you want to share about you know, them telling you the story or whatnot. Let's start with Doc Gooden.
0: Well Doc Gooden, I I visited him oh and all these interviews were in person. So with Doc okay. uh he was living on Long Island at the time, uh this is just a couple of years ago. And and in his kitchen we sat down and, and we really talked about his career and and all the ups and downs that he had and and how he was must see tv in the mid 80s in new york and and around the country and and he was really you know the kind of guy that could have gone on and could have become the next walter johnson or somebody like that and 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 i mean as it was i mean if you look on the back of his baseball card i mean he basically has identical statistics to whitey ford uh, in wins and losses, and and um, he, I mean, he had a great career, but it could have been he, it could have been positively prolific, and and yeah. because of his dr- drug addiction and alcohol abuse and um, and in incarceration, and um, it, it he he still has a lot of regret, obviously, and and he broke down during our time together. Uh, which happens in these books that I write, um, you know, it gets very personal. You know, I I feel like I'm a priest, a psychiatrist, um, sure. you name it. I mean, they, they really open up about their private lives and their careers. And in the case of Doc, what could have been?
1: Absolutely. I, I would imagine the same thing would be for Daryl Strawberry. I think I just read something within the last year or so that Strawberry came out and admitted that he used to have sex in the locker room with women between innings and stuff like that. And obviously the Mets were a very hard partying team. Um talk about straw.
0: Well you know, I, what I would add about Doc is he's one of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet, and and it's it's just such a tragedy what happened to him. He had good parents and yeah. um, a great upbringing, and uh, Straw's upbringing was just the opposite. He had an abusive father, both physically and mentally, and verbally. And um, you know, he, he came out of Crenshaw, California, you know, just outside of L.A. and you know, really rough area, and um, Straw. You know, he he basically is a guy. I mean, you're talking about a guy that had a death wish. Um, he yeah. lost the will to live at at a point uh, near the end of his uh, baseball career, and just afterwards, and and um, he, he 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 was reborn, as they say. I mean, he's he's now a minister, and and he goes and he preaches the word of God around the country, uh, to all kinds of groups, you know, some very, very large groups and in arenas and other smaller groups. And, um, and he's, he's making a big difference in his life. And I would say, you know, straw, I mean, he's come all the way back. I mean, he is, he's better than ever. Um, he's a terrific guy. Um, he looks like he could still play, Um, I mean, he's, he's (laughs) just in great physical condition. Um, and, uh, he's come a long way. I mean, he's another guy, you know, that could have been, you know, a Ted Williams, um, of of his era and, um, and, you know, be because of his drug use and alcohol and, and, um, you know, domestic disturbances, um, all kinds of things. Uh, it really curtailed a career that could have been so much more.
1: Now, one of, one of the two, uh, one of the more interesting people in, that I think is is in, is in this book, or it sounds like anyway, is Bobby Ojeda. Um, talk about what, talk about what Bobby talked to you about, because obviously he's, he's famous for that the Steve Owen boat crash and being the fa- the survivor in that there had to be a lot of guilt with him
0: well yeah and you know I, it, that you know soon after that happened as he was trying to make come back into the big leagues um you know bobby talked talked about it you know he he talked about the guilt and you know certainly um you know, he had to go through therapy and the whole thing. I mean, when you're on a boat with with two of your teammates and, you know, the other two, I, I believe they were nearly decapitated. Or, I mean, it was just a gruesome, gruesome boat accident. You know, they went out on a boat uh, at dusk and, you know, I, they, I guess they had a few beers, but, you know, Bobby would contend that they weren't drunk or anything like that. And, um, I mean... It's hauntingly familiar, you know, to what happened in Miami uh, a couple of years ago, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, with a few of the, you know, uh, with the Marlins pitcher. Yeah, Yeah, with Fernandez, right? Um, So it's, yeah, there was guilt and all that. But, you know, talking to Bobby today, and I've seen him since the book has been out a couple of times. I mean, he's really a strong individual. And, um, yeah, I I don't think he's changed much from his playing days. He's, you know, he still walks and talks with a swagger, um, and he looks great, you know. And uh, for years he was on um, the Mets pregame and postgame on SNY, and I wish he was still there because he did a terrific job, and he's very opinionated, and um, he's just a terrific interview. I, I really enjoyed talking to him.
1: Now one of the uh, one of the more um, sadder cases is is Gary Carter. Um, you know, obviously we lost the baseball lost Gary a lot faster um, than anybody would have hoped for. But you got to for the for that book, you got to interview not only his teammates but also his widow Sandy. Can you talk about Gary Carter?
0: Well, yeah, I, I sure can. I uh, I I think Gary's relationship with his teammates in the '86 Mets it was almost like two different lives, you, you know, two different uh, people. Um, there was the Gary Carter, who when he first went to the Mets was was not liked in general by his teammates, um, and I think the same was true to an extent during some of his time in Montreal, you know, especially as a younger player. Um, And then he goes to the Mets. And, you know, and the reason for that, I think, was because, well, he was nicknamed Camera Carter. So they would tell me, you know, there was never a camera that uh, Gary didn't love. And, you know, he did all the commercials and really embraced New York and Madison Avenue and, um but the reality of it was, you know, it's just who he was. I mean, I, you know, I talked to his wife Sandy about it, and and I talked with his daughters, and uh, and they're all a part of the chapter that I did on Gary. And but you know, a funny thing happened uh, years later. You know, your Dwight Goodens, your Daryl Strawberries, they came. Even your Keith Hernandez, you know, like they really came to have a whole different perspective. On Gary, uh, and um, you know, like they saw him for a guy that lived his life the right way, and and lived his life the way that they would have liked to have lived theirs a little bit more. Um. And, but unfortunately, um, you, you know, they um they didn't see Gary that way when he was a teammate.
1: No. The the thing is is you you don't write just about the New York Mets you've written you've written other other books and I think one I think probably your most important book that you've written is Out at Home the Glenn Burke story can you talk about that book
0: Yeah well that's a book I wrote many years ago in the mid nineties with Glenn Burke um, and you really have to be a a true baseball fan to, uh, you know, and in one with either a good memory or um, uh, a good sense of history to recall who he was. Glenn, Glenn played for just um, four seasons in the big leagues, um, really two with the Dodgers, two and a half with the Dodgers and maybe a season and a half with the Oakland A's. And the reason why his career never really took off. I mean, he was the Dodgers, he, he was a Dodgers top draft pick, and and back in the 70s, you know, I, I should mention he came up in late 76, and he finished his career with the Oakland A's um, really in the spring of 80. And um, the Dodgers at that time, in the 70s, were just a machine in churning out one rookie of the year after another. Um, they had by far the best farm system in baseball and so Glenn Burke was going to be their center fielder for the next 15 years until um, they found out that he was gay and um, that he wasn't going to hide it after a certain point. Dodger management general management uh, offered him a huge bonus to marry a woman any woman, um, to kind of work as, to kind of work as a beard, you know, the Dodgers had this pristine image and, um, you know, it was a different time then. I mean, it, it was a time when, right. uh, I'm, I'm I mean, if you're a gay major league baseball player, I mean, that's something for your own self preservation. You want to keep it to yourself. And, yeah. um, and it, it, it's an interesting story because he befriended Tommy Lasorda's son, Spunky. Uh, his real name was Tommy Jr. And uh, and he was um, gay also. And he would dress up. And he would eventually die of AIDS, just like Glenn did. And Glenn never really got into, in the book I did with him, um how far that relationship went, um, but they would pal around and they would hang out. And, um, you know, I don't think it's something that Tommy took to and, you know, the Dodger manager and, and the general manager, and, and so they traded him, you know, one of their top prospects to the Oakland A's for an aging Billy North, and the Oakland A's at that time were just awful, So he went from one of the best organizations in baseball to one of the worst, and um, the Oakland A's back then were called the Oakland Triple A's; they were so bad. And um, (laughs) and um, so anyway, the next season that after he's in in Oakland, Billy Martin shows up to try to resurrect the franchise, which he did. I mean, he turned them around fast. And um, but the first day of spring training, um, Billy's introducing players, and and he goes, uh, and here's uh, Glenn Burke. He's a faggot. And you know, it kind of sets a, a very awkward work environment, to say the okay. least. And Absolutely. so Glenn Glenn got sent down to the minor leagues um, and just kind of got buried down, down there. And, and um, you know, the big money wasn't in baseball yet. And you know, I think Glenn was making about $60,000 a year, and, and he just said, you know, the heck with it. You know, I, I, I don't need this. And so he um, moved to San Francisco. He was from the Bay, Bay Area, and and uh, the rest of his life was really tragic. You know, he he was involved in a in a car accident where he was a pedestrian walking across the street, and he self-medicated and turned to drugs, went to prison, uh, contracted AIDS in prison and um, when we wrote the book together he was he was dying of AIDS uh, and that's a big part of the book and it's um, it's just a very tragic tale he, he died at 42 years old and uh, it, it was just so tragic and actually um, there is a movie being made now based on that book um, it's, it's being produced by Jamie Lee Curtis and um, so, hopefully, that'll be out in a couple of years, and uh, so Glenn Burke's life and and story will get out to the masses even more so.
1: Do you are do you have any um, do you have any any say or not say? But are you involved in that uh, movie at all?
0: I'm a consultant on it, um, okay. but that's you know I'd love to get a cameo. Sure. <laughs> you know, may you know, I'm a blonde, and you know, I'm kind of, t- you know, I played shortstop. Maybe I could be Bill Russell, you know, or somebody like that. Sure. You know, some, uh, you know, not like a big role, just, um, you know, just a small role would be great. <laughs>
1: sure, absolutely. Now one of the interesting guys that you talked about um earlier in the uh, episode is Mookie Wilson. Um you know, he, I think he's obviously most famous for his for his 10th inning hit in game 6 of the 86 World Series against Bob Stanley that, you know, famously goes through Bill Buckner's Bill Buckner's legs and uh the Mets score and win the game but he dealt with a lot of racism and came from Jim Crow stuff in the South, and he really had to overcome a lot.
0: He had to overcome a tremendous amount. You know, everyone remembers him for that ground balling that he squibbed through Bill Buckner's legs to win Game 6 of the 86 World Series, but his life and his baseball career were so much more than that. Um, You know, this was a guy, you know... 12 brothers and sisters uh his father was a share was a sharecropper and he lived his life in i mean the poverty you can't imagine i mean he had a tin roof and um you know he had to work on the farm and um you know but he had a father uh who was a very he was the biggest influence in his life you know, he had parents that loved each other and stayed together, and um, and his father had a love for baseball, and Mookie shared that that love, and you know, so imagine, I mean, a, a sharecropper son who had nothing, <laughs> you know, and right. had to deal with all kinds of racism in you know South Carolina in the in the '60s and early '70s, and and. He rises above all that and um, first gets drafted by the Dodgers, but um, he um, he turned them down. He was in college. And then he um, gets drafted by the Mets. So someone from those humble beginnings, I mean extremely humble beginnings, becomes, I've always said not the greatest New York Met, but the most beloved. And, um, and I think if you asked any Mets fan who the most beloved Met is, it would be Mookie Wilson. Um so he he's just got such a great story and uh he he came so far and uh he's one of the most positive people I that I know. He and I are great friends to this day.
1: Now one of the other uh we got about five minutes left and there's so much more that I wanna talk about but um one of the more interesting um pl- one of the more interesting figures who maybe gets a little overlooked because of all the players is Davey Johnson and and you obviously, you know, wrote a book about him. Can you can you talk about why you decided to write the book about Davey Johnson and what what kind of some of his former players had to say about him?
0: Well, it's an autobiography, so I'm back to being a co-author again. Um and sure. Um, so you know, I mean, it's it's in Davey's words, and um, uh, but I, you know, it's 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 an amazing life. You know, when people ask me that that question about Davey, I mean, I tell them that he was the Forrest Gump of baseball, and I mean that in the best possible way. I mean it that you know, if you look back over the last fifty years in baseball. Davey Johnson has been right smack in the middle of almost every significant um, historical event that's occurred in baseball, not just in this country, but in other countries as well. I mean, he um, I'll I'll give you one great example. So the night that Hank Aaron broke uh, Babe Ruth's home run record, Davey was batting that night So he was in the lineup So fast forward a couple of years And he's playing for the Tokyo Giants And he's in the lineup When Satahara Oh Passed Babe Ruth's um, Home run mark Home run mark you know, so you have that. You have the fact he brought sabermetrics into baseball. He was really the first one. Um, yeah. You have the fact that he holds the single-season record for most home runs by a second baseman. He's been in four World Series as a player, uh, and you know, with the Orioles and won two of them. And he, you know, he won one of the greatest World Series ever mm-hmm. as the manager of the '86 Mets, and he's just such an interesting guy and. um A players manager a guy that averaged 96 wins a season over seven and a half years with the Mets but he gets fired you know and he improved the fortunes of every club he ever managed I mean drastically quickly and drastically and and it ended badly every single time with five different teams I think it was and you know it's That's an interesting story. And really, those are the types of books that I like to be a part of because, you know, they're not just about these great success stories. Um, You know, like I always throw Derek Jeter in there. I mean, the worst day Jeter, Jeter ever had was if he tripped over some supermodels pumps in the morning, you know? I mean, that was a bad morning for for Jeter. (laughs) He lived such a perfect Mm -hmm. existence in New York for 20 years. But I like guys that have had ups and downs, um, because that to me uh, is a much more interesting read and much more interesting to work on.
1: Yeah, and it seems like each player or each person that's profiled in your books they all have one thing in common and that's that they've had to overcome challenges both on and off the field.
0: So right.
1: like you said, you it, know, it makes it, it makes it so much more, you know, kind of interesting for, for writing, but also for reading. Do you, do you go back and read the books
0: that you write? You know, no one's ever asked me that question. It, it's a really good one. It's a good question because you're, well, the, the short answer is, I've never gone back and read cover to cover any book that I've ever written. Um, I'll go back and I'll go to certain parts from time to time. But I've got to tell you, once you've written a book, that means that you've you know written a final draft, but you've written probably two or three rough drafts of each chapter. Um, you, you've talked about it. You, you know you've, you're, you're done with it. You know, it, you know, you're excited about moving on to the next pro- project. Uh, I mean, I enjoy talking about the experiences, but I don't think a lot of authors go back and read something that they've written from cover to cover. Um, I will say this. The one book that we didn't talk about, I guess, was the Steve Blass book. Um, Steve Blass is one of the most entertaining and funniest people you'll ever meet he He's been announcing pirates games now for over thirty years, and occasionally if i need a laugh, i know where to go uh there he <laughs> he he absolutely the way that he phrased certain things in in that book that we did uh that book's called a, a pirate for life he he's one of the fun- i mean he could have been a professional comedian i mean um so then i will go go back you know that's that's an example that i use.
1: Absolutely. Eric, I, we are out of time, but there we I could have easily gone another half an hour with you. It's just such a fascinating – it's so fascinating and so much fun to hear you uh, talk about all the experiences that you've had. I cannot thank you enough for coming – on to the uh, to the podcast and giving us an insight into into the really into the lives of these players and telling us you know more than who who they are outside of the ballpark and telling us who they are about the people. Tell everybody where they can get all the books and about your davy Johnson's book
0: sure, well, you can get books uh, you know any books that I've written anywhere books are sold. Um i know amazon uh that's where most people go today and um I know they have special deals on on books but um but anywhere books are sold, that's the short answer so if you have a a local mom and pop shop um support them that's what i say <laughs>
1: absolutely. absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, his website is ericshermanbaseball.com. That's E-R-I-K-S-H-E-R-M-A-N baseball.com. You can find the links to purchase his books. You can find background information about him and all of his subjects. I cannot thank you enough New York Times best-selling author Eric Sherman for giving me a half an hour of your time tonight. Thank you so very much, and we'll be in touch.
0: All right. The pleasure is all mine. Take care. You too, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: All right, that that was Eric Sherman. He has written five books, and his fifth book, like he mentioned, is the book about Davy Johnson. Find me on Facebook at De- and Devlin Clark. Otherwise, on Twitter, you can find me at Devlin under slash Clark 84. Please be sure to leave a five-star review for this podcast. Also, make sure to visit Eric's website, ericsherman.com. That's E-R-I-K, ShermanBaseball.com, ericshermanbaseball.com. Go to Amazon, find his books. I am going to order the um, book about, I'm going to actually order all of his books because his books just, Sounds so fascinating and and interesting. So, I am going to uh, be ordering his books, especially the Out at Home book. So, thank you guys so much for sticking around with me today. This was the third and final episode of today's podcast. So, I appreciate all my guests coming on. Thank you to Don Demola, Billy Sample, Ed Hearn, Eric Sherman, and Greg Olson for their time today. Thank you guys very much, and we will catch you down the road in podcast land. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?